The um, story is told of the little girl who came home from Sunday school. What did you do today? asked Dad. Well, she said, I drew God. But Lisa, said Dad, nobody knows what God looks like. Lisa looked at her father defiantly, picked up her piece of paper and said, well, now they do know. Isaiah chapter 6 introduces us to God, not the God of our imagination, instead to the living God. They intro it introduces us to the God who is holy. The angels cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And we're going to say that, we've already said it, we're going to say it again in this service many times, in the prayers and then during the communion prayer. What does it mean to be holy? Well, if something or someone is holy, then it means that they are set apart, sacred, hallowed. It's the same root that we use in the Lord's Prayer when we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's the holiness of the divine being. Philosophers speak of this as God's, forgive me for using this word, ontological holiness. God is completely set apart from us, other to us. He is beyond all our categories. He is the creator of space and time, and so he's beyond our ideas of space and time. There is an absolute difference between the Creator God and us, the creature. Creation, and the Bible is quite insistent on this, was not born of God, like a child coming out of its mother's womb. Many of the other great creation myths talk of creation as being born of God. No, the Bible says that's not what it is. Creation is not of the same nature or matter as God. The writer to the Hebrews says, By faith we understand that the worlds were created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Theologians speak of this as creation ex nihilo, creation out of nothing. In the beginning God spoke and creation came into being. That's why all our speech about God is inadequate. We're a bit like ants, with our ant language of feelers and sense and whatever ways ants communicate with each other, trying to explain a human being. It's not just that God is like a human being is for an ant, so huge and vast, and we're so tiny and we cannot see him. It's also that our language and our concepts and our logic are just not up to the task. We speak of God as Father, as a person, as love. And of course, all those things are true. But God is far more than our human understanding of Father. For a start, he's beyond gender. God is far more than our idea of person 
or even than our idea of love. So we have positive words to describe God. God is omnipresent, omniscient, almighty, omnipresent. He's in all places. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is almighty. He has all power. Isaiah, in his vision, sees God seated on a throne. But because even those words cannot begin to describe God, quite often the language that we use is the language of negatives. We say God is immortal. He is not mortal. God is invisible. He is not visible. At the end of our service, we're going to sing that amazing hymn. It is an incredible hymn. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. Just look as we sing it through how the hymn describes God. That is why no image can represent the eternal God. No art, no music, not even little Lisa's drawing. Rublev's Sycon of the Trinity, for instance, does not pretend to portray the three persons of the Trinity. It portrays three angels who represent the three persons of the Trinity. There's the holiness of divine being. And in addition, there's the holiness of the divine heart, what I call moral holiness. All that is true and beautiful and perfect comes from God because it can be found in God because it is God. Last week, we remembered the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit came as tongues of fire. And fire is a great picture of the holiness of God because it is both pure and also makes pure. Fire burns up everything that is not pure. And through fire, we separate different metals. If you want to separate metals from gold, for instance, to be left with pure gold, then we need fire. We will need to heat the gold and metals to temperatures between 1,000 and 12,000 degrees Celsius. That's quite hot. So it's no wonder that even the perfect angels in Isaiah 6, cover their faces in the presence of God. And is it any strange, it's no wonder that when Isaiah is given a glimpse of the holiness of God, he cries out, woe is me, I am lost. But also in Isaiah 6, we're introduced to the God who touches the earth. When I read these verses, I assume that Isaiah, in his vision, sees this huge throne, and God is seated on the throne. Isaiah doesn't even begin to try to describe God, because I guess he couldn't see him. He could only just sort of see that when John, in the Revelation, has a very similar vision. All he can do is describe God as being like, Jasper and Carnelian, beautiful stones. God was just too awesome. But what Isaiah can describe and does describe is the hem of God's robe and how his hem fills the temple. Notice how the word filled is used in these verses. 
the hem of God's robe fills the temple, the whole earth is full of the glory of God, and the house, the temple, was filled with smoke. The Old Testament Jewish temple was the address where God touched the earth. It was the place where the holy God said that his name would dwell. It was the place where he said that his presence would live on earth, where he would listen to the cries of his people when they turned to him in prayer, where his glory, his holiness would dwell. And it's in the temple that Isaiah meets with God. Actually, we don't know if he was in the temple or not when he has his vision. We assume he was, but in his vision, this is where he meets with God. He sees the glory and the holiness of God. He sees his lostness, his need for God, and he confesses his sin. He receives forgiveness, cleansing the God of fire, touches his lips with a burning coal, and he's made clean. And he hears the call of God. And yes, this happens in the vision Isaiah has of the temple, but we're also told that the glory of the Lord filled not only the temple, but the whole earth. The temple may have been the address where God touched the earth, but it was also the place from which the glory of God spreads out and fills the earth. There's an old English hymn which speaks of the glory of God filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. And in Isaiah 6, we are shown the God who is holy, but also the God who touches the earth. And thirdly, we're introduced to the God who sends. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Just as the glory of God fills the temple and flows out from the temple, filling the world, so God sends his servants out of the temple to bring his word to the world. Christians have often spoken of the triple holy, 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 in Isaiah 6 as referring to the Trinity. And in verse 8, we have another tantalizing verse when God says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Calvin wisely said that if he was looking to persuade people of the truth of the Trinity, he would use other verses. <laughs> However, what we see here the God who is holy and utterly other, the God who touches the earth and the God who sends are three aspects that we see in our understanding of the three persons of the Trinity. There is our Father in heaven whose name is hallowed, the God who is completely other to us and yet, if only we could see whose glory fills the earth. There's the eternal Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God with us, not a place, but a person where God touches the earth. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And the New Testament writers say Jesus, not a building, Jesus is the new temple. And it's in communion with Jesus as friends of Jesus that we see God. Jesus says to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the meeting place where God meets with us. And it's when we see Jesus we realise that we're lost, that we're sinful, that we need God. It's when we come to Jesus that we receive 
forgiveness and cleansing the burning coal touches our lips I don't know whether you thought of that when we said the confession and when I declared the absolution God was touching your lips with a burning coal and it's when we come to Jesus that we hear the Word of God and the call of God Jesus is the person in whom God touches the earth and the Holy Spirit is the one who we are told proceeds from the Father, is sent from the Father. He's the one the Father sends, the glory of God who fills the universe. He's the one who comes to us and witnesses to us about the truth of the Father and the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And when the Holy Spirit comes to us and we welcome the Spirit into us, we find that we too are sent. I'm not saying that we find all this in Isaiah 6. <laughs> we find most of what I've said about the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in John's Gospel. For instance, in John chapter 3, we have the Father. Nobody can see the Father. Jesus says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Um, we have, he loves the world that he created. We have the unique Son of God who God the Father sent into the world to save the world. Who, with, who was with the Father from before the beginning of time. Jesus, the meeting point again, where God touches the earth. And we have the Holy Spirit, invisible, and yet the one who gives us life and enables us to see the kingdom of God, to see the glory of God. Three persons, one God, working in each other and through each other, with one source, one nature, one glory, one goal, one desire, and one love. Isaiah is given a glimpse of God, and he's given a glimpse of the worship of heaven. This is worship that is awesome and true and therefore powerful. I don't know whether you notice, as the angels worship God and declare, holy, 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 the foundations of the temple are shaken. Pat would not be happy. <laughs> Our worship is so feeble in contrast. Our words are so pathetic. But if it comes from a heart that is beginning to understand the holiness and the otherness of God, and yet also the love of God, if it's coming from a heart that longs to see more of God, even though it knows it can't see more of God, not yet anyway, and to worship God, it is okay. When we come together, or when we're on our own and we choose to put aside time to worship God, to declare his holiness and his other, other, otherness and his presence on earth, then we're not creating worship as if God would not be worshipped if we were not there. No, when we come to worship, instead we're joining in with the worship of heaven. And when we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, we are but echoing the worship of the angels. Can you hear them? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we're adding our Amen, our so be it, to their worship. 
And maybe today we do this as a duty, but one day when we glimpse God and his authority and holiness and glory, his presence with us in Jesus Christ, his love and forgiveness and cleansing, his power working through us by his Holy Spirit, then our hearts will fill and explode with joy. And together with the angels, and together with all of creation, we will acclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory.